Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Tony Ford. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing terrific. Man, I really appreciate you coming in here today to be a part of the Winning Strategies Playbook. It's always fun to hang out with you, Jeremy. Well, I mean, if anybody has helped me get better at strategies in my winning of the playbook, it has certainly been you, sir. And uh, I always make the joke is... If you really want to get advice, pay someone a lot of money to tell you everything that your wife will tell you for free. <laughs> but That's you true. listen to the person that you give the money to. <laughs> well, well, they do. And, and I'll tell you what, and I tell this to all of my clients, you know, you guys do all the work. You know, coach is a guide. We don't, uh, we don't have an agenda. It's your life. It's your goals. It's, uh, it's, well, it's your abilities. And, you know, the coach is there to facilitate that and to help get clarity and then create action steps because, you know, we live and die as entrepreneurs on momentum. And if we, uh, if we get stalled, we kind of don't know what to do. And a lot of times, uh, and you weren't because you already had a plan, but a lot of, a lot of folks that come to us, um, they're stuck or they're circling. You know, they're just going round and round in their head about things and they know they need to break out, but they're afraid to take the wrong exit. Yeah. And uh, maybe they have already and it got them someplace they didn't want to end up. And so what coaching does is say, all right, you know, the whole world is your opportunity. It's filled with obstacles too, but you know, what do you want? It's your life. You only get this day one time. Uh, you get to make those choices. No, you know, to, to, I don't know what television show, but somebody used to say, you're not the boss of me, <laughs> you know, you're your own person. And so I love the clarity part that comes with it. Um, you and I have talked so many times about how as entrepreneurs, we think we're normal. And when in point of fact, we're probably 2% of the population. And if you realize that, then you start gravitating to other entrepreneurs to where you can compare. And, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about your podcast. Uh, you're bringing on people that are pretty much of that tribe and trying to explain to people that maybe are, should be in the tribe, but are outside of it right now. Hey, come on in. It's okay. You know, we are different. Uh, Dr. Zeus, there's a, there's a quote that he said, he says, he says, you have to be odd to be number one. There's a lot of truth to that. Isn't that true? That that's is, who we are. Yeah. We are odd, but we're not odd in the sense that we're the only one. We're just odd in the sense that there's not a lot of us in the general population. So it's important that we, that we find each other. And, you know, the way that uh, the SPAN group has, has developed is, uh, is so typical of what entrepreneurs do. I mean, you started going out and finding the best talent you could find. You sifted through it. You built your team. And as we've talked many times, you built this core. And while you were building the core of the people, you were also building your system. And so the system's bulletproof. The people are world-class. And, you know, I'm just really excited to see what you guys are going to do in the future. Well, I, I got to tell you, you know, the old um, um, Colin saying, you know, it's what got you here won't get you there. Right. Right. And, uh, and so two of our other guests that we're recording episodes on are also two of your clients, Sean Michael. Yes. And John Lee. Yeah. Lon Smith Roofing. And, oh, yeah. 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 Marshall, Marshall Young, Young Insurance, Insurance with yes. four chicken ease. Great people. Great, so we great all, leaders. We all, I, I, I call our relationship codependent based on you is, you know, getting this podcast all geared up to go and, and you know, bringing them on naturally because they're just dominating in their spaces and they're just, yeah. you know, they're, like you said, they're in that tribe of just a players. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we all just kind of sit there and laugh and go, yeah, we really get annoyed because Tony's just going to tell you all the stuff you don't want to hear. Right. And not only that, but we're going to pay him to tell us all the stuff <laughs> we don't want to hear. And it's not just like some like, oh, you don't want to hear this. Like it's the stuff that really reaches down uh -huh. and pisses you off. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> and, you know, that's why I have a coach, because, uh, you know, I, I always ask people. I, I, I met a counselor one time and we were talking and I said he was telling me all about how he loved counseling and helping people and stuff. I said, well, who's your counselor? And he just stared at me <laughs> and I said, you don't have a counselor? Well, no. 
Why not? I mean, don't you believe in your own craft? Well, yeah, but I don't really have any issues. <laughs> well, then you need a coach. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you actually do. Yeah. You just aren't facing Yeah, them. the first one to say they don't have issues have the most, uh, right? Just stand up. Let's right. go. Yeah, come on. Let's sit down and talk about that. So one of the themes that Michael and John and I talk about is if you would have told us 30 years ago that the key to a successful business is instead of, because like you said, we're not normal, we're wired different, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we are machines that yep. just go. Is that if you would have told us 30 years ago that loving on your people is going to get you further, mm -hmm. we would have, la I mean, just like, laughed. no way. Like I was interviewing uh, the, the Colby brothers, mm -hmm. Michael, Matt, and Mark, who built Goosehead and mm -hmm. went public and are just, none of those guys are 40 and they're just as successful as you could possibly uh -huh. be. And it was funny is during our recording is we talked about, they were like, man, but we feel like you have the essence of all that. And I said, I didn't always, mm -hmm. I wasn't always there. I, le I left a lot of bodies on the side of the road. Sure. As my buddy sure. Stanton says, yeah. uh, you know, I caused a lot of damn, broke a lot of windows yeah. and like a bull in a China cabinet yeah. until learning about that. And mm -hmm. so my father-in-law says that for each one of these recordings, I've got to do a joke. And okay. I found, and because of the theme of loving on people, I thought this joke was, was appropriate. Okay. Okay. You ready? Why are crabs so bad at sharing? I don't know. Because they are all shellfish. <laughs> okay. Well, there's an editing function on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure your producer over here can... <laughs> Can, can sort that out for you. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's a, that, it, it was just kind of funny is, um, uh, you know, when we, you know, getting a coach, um, even the top performers in athletes sure. have coaches, right? Sure. Pitchers have pitching coaches, quarterbacks have quarterback coaches. Right. I mean, people that perform on that top tier level mm -hmm. have coaches. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that, and I'd had a coach before when I did my MBA at TCU, right. yeah. but it was kind of a different scope. It was yeah. part of the program. Yeah. So it wasn't as intimate and don't get me wrong, Richard best. Awesome. Great, great Any, guy. Anybody that ever want to coach, he's, he's an incredible guy. I actually sent somebody to him the other day and they're doing great. Yeah. He's just that servant leadership, yeah. learning that he was great, but when you're in the program, you're not meeting week to week like right. you and I meet. Right. It's a different. It's a different kind of investment. It's a different kind of investment. It really is. And um, you know, one of the things when I started Success Fort Worth, it wasn't really set up as a company like you would normally do as a as a high profit company. Uh, it was a part of a mission. You know, my mission for what forty years, I guess, has been to protect and grow the relational culture we have in Fort Worth. Most cities, it's transactional. It's about money. In Fort Worth, we're pretty unique in the sense that it's about how we get along with each other and not squeezing the last nickel out of every deal because there's going to be new deals. And that's a coachable thing. That, that kind of cultural uh, imperative is coachable. And so when I uh, stepped down as CEO at Ride Television, I thought, well, you know, at that point I was 60. What do I want to do the rest of my career to push that agenda and make this next uh, group of leaders have the same kind of fun experience we did with people? And so that's why I started Success Fort Worth. But as I gathered coaches around me, I, I went and interviewed coaches, you know, Richard and other people. And um, I found this, this group of six so far. And I just said to him, look, how would you like it if I promoted you to other people so that you would be full of clients that you could help? And uh, you don't pay me anything. I pay for everything. And I know you're my competition, but I don't think we really have competition. I think the competition is getting people coached. And so that's what we've done for three years. Um, and it's a good model. It's a terrible business model, but it's a great mission model. And so more and more people, entrepreneurs, uh, I'm getting ready to do some things with managers at the city of Fort Worth. Others of our, our coaches are doing things uh, in the medical field, other places. Um, hopefully, uh, this next set of aspiring leaders, which you're a part of, um, you know, which, which uh, Sean is a part of, which John is a part of, um, you guys are the next generation of the people that are going to set the course at Fort Worth, Texas for the next 50 years. And to have you 
know what your blind spots are, know what your opportunities are, know other people that care enough about their craft to um, become more self-aware through coaching. Um, I think that's worthy. I, th I think it's, I think it's a worthy way to spend the rest of my career and hopefully bring more great coaches to Fort Worth uh, because a city lives and dies by its leadership. And if they're aware and if they know each other, and again, you pointed out, you know, I, I don't know how many folks that you know that I've coached a lot, but I work hard to, in, to introduce you folks to each other because you're an elite group. You're a group of people that care enough to go deep into, Hey, what can I do to be better at what I do? You're already good at what you do. It's not like you're not gonna be successful, but there's that, that really thin last step, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard. Everybody would say a 95 is an A, right? But what if you can perform at a 98? What does that other 3% get you? And what does it get for the people around you? That level of self-awareness. And I think that's what coaching is best at. It's, it creates that last step for those that are willing to put themselves through the process. And, uh, and you know, when, when, when you say, you know, thanks, obviously as a, as a person, I appreciate that. But I always remind you that you did the work. You did the work. I was your guide. I brought the questions. I kept you on track and between the white lines. But at the end of the day, the changing, the readaptation, the looking inside and coming out with a different answer, that was all you. And, uh, and not everybody's willing to do that. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, when you bring up the white lines of the road, right? Mm -hmm. And those white lines are to protect you from going off into the bar ditch, mm -hmm. right? And prior to coming to you, I was literally like a monster truck rally. I was all in ditches all mm -hmm. over the place. And, um, and you hit a couple of key things that are, that are it's, it's really funny is how obvious these things can be in front of you mm -hmm. your entire life, mm -hmm. but it takes someone doing some windshield wipers across your eyes to go, wait a minute. Okay. Now I see this. So for example, talking about relationships, here it is, three brothers. Mm -hmm. There's not many three brothers that I know right. that like <laughs> each other enough to be in the same room for yeah. longer an hour, let alone, you know, be a part of a startup that turns into a publicly traded company where two and a half years later in a, what I call the post-pandemic protesting riding election year trifecta of 2020 uh -huh. yeah. are trading at, at one point earlier this month, $100 more a share than what they opened up at yeah. two and a half years ago. Yeah. And some of the key things, cause I said, you know, if you could go back and talk to, you know, 18 or 22 year old self and hands down, they were like relationships, right? Mm -hmm. They were like relationships, relationships, relationships. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and that's, so that's always a key, key thing. And, um, and which really funny is when you, when you talk about, um, you know, that extra 3%, is when I started in the real estate space coming up on mm -hmm. four years ago, my initial drive was because I felt like real estate professionals in this industry had failed the consumer mm -hmm. time and time again, mm -hmm. where they were going to be non-existent. Right. And that was kind of my driver in the beginning was like, you know what, I'm going to be that person that, that that's not going to fail people. Mm -hmm. But what I learned from you, you, you've been coaching me almost two years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and what I learned along the way is really those other agents, whether they're incredibly good or incredibly bad, are really not my competition. Mm -hmm. Is you help me see that each one of my clients are my competition. Mm -hmm. And it is up to me to compete every day to show them why I earn their business. Right. Right. And well, why I'm going to love on them, why I'm going to take care of them mm -hmm. and why these things are so incredibly important. And so on Monday, we had a team meeting. So we've got Michelle and Lynn and Laura, and we brought out a list of all the clients we've served in the last year. Mm -hmm. And we ranked them in one to four, um, one being um, they were easy to work with and they listened. I mean, okay. that's always the you know, sure. cream of the crop right there. Well, right? Those guys, yeah. And then ones that were maybe not as easy, mm -hmm. um, maybe because of the deal itself or a personality or something, mm -hmm. but they listened to us. And then some that were easy to work with. I mean, you just couldn't help but love to work with them, but they didn't listen to anything you said. Yeah. And then the 
not easy and don't listen, yeah. <laughs> which is, you're like, if they ever call me again, I'm probably I'm, not going to answer I'm the phone. Call right? yeah, yeah. So we brought out this list and doing over $42 million uh, in closings over the past trailing 12 months. It's quite a few clients. Busy people, uh, it was, yeah. um, I believe there were right around 80 something clients. Yeah. And the mass majority of them were once. Yeah. Because well, yeah. we learned not only is not everybody maybe shows up at the door as a one to four, mm-hmm. but how you treat them, they can be a one. Right. But also was instead of focusing just to take business to take business, mm-hmm. we only wanted to attract people that were going to listen to us. So really the ones and twos are where we want to be is not every deal is going to be easy and not every person's going to be easy. But as long as they listen to us, mm-hmm. because you know, at the end of the day, whether you're a great person, but you don't listen or you're hard to work with and you don't listen mm-hmm. is if you're not going to take the advice that I give you, what, why, why are you hiring me? Right. Like I, I mean, I do well enough in business that I don't have to live and die on the vine for each deal. Like, to well, close. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'm like, I, you know, so I mean, with that is we've turned down well over $4 million worth of deals. If you added them all together, mm-hmm over the last number of months, because we were like, look, you really seem like you want to tell whoever's going to represent you what to do. So you're really not seeking our advice. And Mm -hmm. we really feel like the value we bring is really good advice because we're, anybody can do real estate when it's easy, Sure, but when it gets complicated and COVID definitely presented those, those issues is we, we are subject matter experts in problem solving. Well, one of the things that you, you and I've talked about a lot is the, is this issue of clients don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they need. They know what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, the analogy I use is uh, when, a, you know, when some, I, I call it the big chair, when you're the owner of the company or the CEO or whatever, and you ask a person to do something and they say, okay. And if they're really good, as in they really care about you as an owner, they won't do what you told them to do they'll go get you the outcome you really want. How they do it is very different. And so you can go a long time as an owner, director, whatever, and have, have the understanding that, oh, people are doing exactly what I said, the way I said it. And in point of fact, they're doing something almost the opposite, but they're getting you the result. And so when, when clients come to us, they just instinctively believe they're interviewing us. Mm-hmm. You know, do I want you to be my realtor? Do you want me, do I want you to be my coach? And in point of fact, once we're secure in our own system and once our people are properly trained and we are about the right things, then it's a, it's a mutual consideration. And so I think I've shared it with you. You know, one of the, one of the things I tell my clients or potential clients, prospects at the beginning is, is, you know, I serve at your pleasure, but by my choice. If it's ever not your pleasure, then okay, we're done and we'll part friends. And if it's ever not my choice, we're done and we'll part friends. But understand that this, that this is a balanced deal because the only deals that will ever last, whether it's marriage, churches, schools, communities, business deals, they have to be balanced. Everybody has to get what they feel like is equitable and, and what they need out of that interaction. If not, it may go on for a long time and be okay, but it will never be great. And living a life of greatness, living, a, li- running a company that's going to be elite requires that mindset. You know, I'm not everybody's coach. And when somebody comes to me and uh, we have that conversation and I'm thinking, you know what, I can coach this person. I'd, I'd be, I'd be good for them. But when I call them back in a week and say, you know, how do you feel about what we talked about? And they say, well, you know, I think I should, I want to talk to two or three more coaches. I said, well, how about this? Let me give you their contact information. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll tell you a little bit about each one of them. So you can decide, prioritize your time and talk to the next one that you think might be a good fit because the goal is to get them a good coach. It's not to gain a client. Somebody asked me one time, uh, it was a young man over at uh, the place I office. I had some time between clients. And so I'm having a cup of coffee. I'm standing at the window, looking out at the cars and he comes up to me and says, Hey Tony, you know, he's just like a cocker spaniel. You can just, you can just, <laughs> you can just feel his, feel his tail. You know, he's Tony he says, I'm, I'm, I'm writing my business plan and my marketing plan. And, 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 and I really want to pick your brain about yours, you know, cause I'm, I'm guessing, you know, after all these years, you got a pretty cool one. And I looked at him and said, well, 
I think you're going to be really underwhelmed. He said, why? And I said, well, I said, my business plan is like only two words. How can that be? I said, well, it is. He goes, well, what two words? I said, coach well. Well, how does that work as a business plan? I said, well, think about it. What's the business plan there to do? It's to give you direction on how to grow your business. Well, when I coach well, my business grows. I make a good living. I enjoy what I do. I accomplish the mission I'm trying to accomplish. He said, well, okay. Like I told him he was going to be mm-hmm. underwhelmed. <laughs> and he was. Uh, I, said, uh, I said, now you're really going to be disappointed in my marketing plan. He says, how's that? I said, well, it turns out it's the same as my business plan. <laughs> coach well. How can that be? Well, when I coach well, my clients get, what, get value for what they, what they put in, which, by the way, it's not what they pay me. That's not the most expensive thing about coaching. The most expensive thing about coaching is their time. You're talking about high-level people with lots of responsibility that make a lot of money, and their time is very valuable. And by the time they sit down with me for an hour and a half, they've had to get there. They've had to go back. That's three hours. And then they have to do something. I always give them homework to help them continue to develop. I mean, it's things they want to do, but it still takes time. So they might have a five-hour-a-week investment in the coaching process. That's a lot. So they have to get a lot of value out of that to make it worth their while. And so I explain that to them at the front end. So if I coach well as a marketing tool, then they get what they want. They get leverage, some, you know, 5X, 10X return on their time and money. And they tell their friends who, you know, they're having a bar, having a drink with or a cup of coffee and they're complaining about their companies killing them or, you know, they don't know what to do with their troubled employees. And they say, well, do you have a coach? And they go, well, no, I don't have a coach. What's a coach? And they explain the process and they say, wow, that sounds like it costs a lot. It takes a lot of time. It does. But it saves a lot of time. It (laughs) creates momentum. It creates awareness. You know, coaching only does two things. We've talked about this. It creates awareness and it creates actions out of that awareness. Drop the mic. Don't overthink it. It's not counseling. It's not mentoring. It's not discipleship. There are elements of that in there. But we live and die. We're like sharks in that way, not in a predatory way, although there is some of that as as entrepreneurs. As sharks, you know, they, they can't stop swimming or they'll die. I mean, they literally can't breathe if they're not moving. Well, entrepreneurs are the same way. We build our enterprise. We gather people around our cause because we're in constant motion. And motion without direction, without purpose, is wasted effort. And so in the coaching process, we kind of slice and dice the motion process and say, okay, let's examine where you're going, how you're going that way, how fast you're going, and how many exits have you missed (laughs) because you were busy looking somewhere else. Because if you miss an exit and go 50 miles farther, you've made a hundred mile mistake, mm-hmm. right? You got to go back again and everything else, all the timetable, all the people you disappoint, all those other things are out the window. So what I think I told you this the first time we met, I said, you know, when you hire me, you're, you're going to really love me because you think I'm going to save you. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make the world better for you. And I will actually, you will. I said, but what you're really going to do is after we met three or four times, you're going to kind of start hating on me. It won't be because I'm a bad guy. Am I telling you the truth? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it won't, it's because I'm slowing you down. Yeah. Because you have to get slow to get smooth. And when you get smooth, you can get really fast. But it's the getting slow and getting smooth and figuring out what you're here to do and how to do it and with who to do it. That's painful for us. It's painful. I know it hurts. I'm not, look, I've been an entrepreneur for 40 years. I get it. It's painful for us to slow down because we think we're losing we're, we're missing so many things. Truth is, we've been missing a lot of stuff up to that point. We just weren't aware of it. So creating that ability to say, okay, I'm going to work within my ability and do my best stuff. And I'm going to surround myself. I'm going to gather this core of people to do the things I've always done, but they weren't my best gifts. Right? And oh, that's, yeah. what, that's what you've done, you know, with, with, with Laura and Michelle and Lynn. I mean, every one of your people is a specialist. And they do what they do. And you guys coordinate that. And I told, I told one of my clients the other day, I said, you know, um, I've had the same general practitioner doctor for 42 years. Steve was a boy doctor when I was a boy entrepreneur. And we've just gotten older and had kids and grandkids and stuff. But I know the man makes about a third of what all the surgeons that have worked on me through the years make. Because we pay more for specialists. Mm-hmm. We just do. 
And it's an age of specialization. The general practitioner in any field is always going to get less pay because that's just the way it works. So if somebody comes to me and they're a generalist and they're unhappy with their income or their opportunities or whatever, I say, okay, what part of the general thing you do, if you could just do that thing, would you like to do? And they go, da, 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 because immediately they know what it is. And I say, well, what's keeping you from doing that? Well, I don't know how. I'll give you an example. About 10 years ago, I had to have my knee replaced. And um, we have a very long, we live in the country, so we have about 150 foot concrete driveway. And so I'm in this big harness and this physical therapy guy who's even bigger than me is holding me up and teaching me how to walk again, you know, with this artificial device. And so I'm all high on Vicodin and I look up at him and I say, Shay, his name's Shay Smith. Great guy. I said, Shay, I said, what's your big dream? I, I ask people, you know that. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, I've been a therapist for 10 years. He says, uh, I'd really like to have my own physical therapy company. And I said, well, why don't you? And he says, well, I don't know how to start a company. I said, well, it's your lucky day because I don't know how to walk. <laughs> I said, you teach me how to walk and I'll teach you how to grow a company. And so we did. Yeah. And so uh, like two months later, Therapy Heroes was born. Now it's, a, well, I guess, eight or 10 year old company now. And he's got like 40 therapists working for him. And, it, and he treats them right because he was a therapist for all those years and, and knew the way that other people treated him. He didn't like. Mm -hmm. So there's a therapist managing and leading therapists. And... You know, that, that's been my joy throughout my career is even when I had my own companies, I have always looked around for men and women who are 10, 15, 20 years behind me. It's gotten easier lately, you know, because I'm so older um, to say, hey, look, you know, I know you think that's the right way to do it, but there's an easier way and there's actually a better way. And the Bible has a lot to say about how, how a person is always right in their own eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you get perspective, when you are, are, are courageous enough to ask people, hey, you know, where, where am I going wrong? What am I doing that's, that's hurting you? Um, just tell me the truth. In fact, I'm going to write it down. I, and I tell folks, it looks a lot easier than just staring at them. Just start writing, just bullet pointing what they're saying they will accelerate. <laughs> They'll start out with one or two little things. And by the time you get to the bottom of the page, you know, it's like they stuck their pen down their throat. I mean, they're just right. telling you everything you ever did to offend them. And that's okay. Because if you're doing it with them, you're probably doing it with everybody else. Yeah. And you just need to understand that because you can't change what you don't know. Right. And the goal, and just like you, you know, I'm sure I damaged a lot of people uh, in my early companies uh, because I thought I was a good manager. I mean, I was the youngest general manager that the steak and ale restaurant chain had ever had, uh, managing the new concept restaurants at 23. I mean, that's where I met Jane. She walked into my restaurant one night and I took one look at her and just fell in love. Uh, but I wasn't a good manager. I really wasn't because I'm a task oriented kind of person without Christ. You know, I'm just all about the stuff, you know, in him, I'm about people. But at the time I thought I was a good manager and it wasn't until my second company, I guess, about halfway through my second company before it dawned on me, no, you can be a good leader without being a good manager because manager management is about being sensitive to people's feelings and details and all that. So I started hiring managers to do that part. And I focused on what I believe is an owner's job. And that is to provide the tools and the resources so that everybody else can do their job. And so like, if you come out of sales, mm -hmm. we both kind of come out of sales. It's not unusual when I work with a company where the owner came out of sales that once in a while they'll drop everything else they're doing and they'll spend half a day in, on the sales floor, you know, but there's a sales manager there too, mm -hmm. you know, and she's, she has a job to do and he's kind of like walking into her territory and, you know, because she's smart, she doesn't get in his way or her way and she just backs up. But when, uh, when they, come to coaching and they say, wow, I, I said, how was your week? So, well, you know, Thursday was great. Cause I spent the whole afternoon on the sales floor. You did. Was, was your sales manager on vacation or something? Well, no, she was right there. I said, okay, well, who is, who on that afternoon, who is providing the tools and the resources so everybody else could do their job? And even more so was confusion that it probably oh. created for the troops, which is a great yes. thing. If there was, if I had to give, after almost two years of mm -hmm. coaching, you know, what was one of the greatest takeaways that I got out of your wisdom was confusion creates fear. A 
agreement creates trust. Agreement, clarity creates agreement, therefore trust. Mm-hmm. And and so it's that clarity that I spend more time looking for. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny as, I, it, it, you know, for the audience out there, you know, usually once a week I'm sitting down doing this with Tony and we're, you know, I'm doing probably more of the talking and he's doing more of the guiding. And, um, but it was really funny as, um, so last night we've, we've, we've got a client who I absolutely love and that I know will listen, but the closer the client is to you as a friend, the harder mm-hmm. the conversation oh, yeah. is to have. Sure right? is, yeah. And so I'd literally been mulling this over for since last night when I walked in the door and the team were, were like, man, they're just, they're, they're complicating this. Mm-hmm. And, and so all last night and all this morning, I was sitting there thinking, like, how do I, how do I phrase this? And then again, here it is. We're just sitting here having a casual conversation, and you gave me all kinds of clarity of clients know what they want, but don't always know what they need. And then it was like, hey, that's the perfect mm-hmm. segue, which is funny because I'm going to have that conversation today. Later, they're going to hear this podcast and be like, oh, that's where you got it from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it's so funny how business gets complicated when we complicate it. Right. It does. And, and, you know, the, the human heart, um, it, it, it really wants simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll stand at the windows, you know, the big glass windows and somebody will come up to me and we're talking and they'll be confused about something, will be in conflict about something. And I'll say, um, look out there. There's a big forest out the back of this building. So look out there. I said, how much black and white do you see? There's trees and flowers and grass and animals, and they'll go, well, not very much. I said, that's right, because that's the way God made it. The, the world has a bunch of different colors, millions of them, literally. It's a complicated place on purpose. It's not an accident. In our heart, though, we want simplicity. We want binary. We want black and white. And so the conflict of our heart and our brain, our brain is set up to deal with the millions of varieties that God made. But our heart's not. The heart wants simplicity and the brain wants complexity. And that battle between the two, I mean, think about it as owners. You know, we're, we spend all of our time trying to simplify things. Mm-hmm. We take the complex and we try to grind it down to where it can be replicated, trained. You know, I don't want this salesman representing as this way and this salesman representing as the other way. And then the customer calls and they're all confused and we look stupid and we look like we don't know what we're doing and we look like we're lying and again, confusion breeds fear. Mm-hmm. Agreement breeds trust. What is agreement? Agreement is setting down and saying, I see it this way. How do you see it? Not, I see it this way and you should too. That's not agreement. That's being a bully. Right. And so what we, what we say is, you know, look, as a realtor, you know, I'm a subject expert on this market and what's happening. You're a brain surgeon. <laughs> this job, fortunately, does not require your skill set as a brain surgeon. It requires mine. So if you will agree that I've done as much work to know this market as you have to map the human brain, then we can respect each other. We can be in agreement that the recommendations I bring you are credible. They may not be what you want, but they're accurate. And my job is to bring you accurate information. If I bring you accurate information, you're an intelligent person. You know, you're a mom. You've raised three kids. You've got a PhD in psychology. And, oh, by the way, you're a brain surgeon. So there's nothing wrong with your mind. My job is to bring you good choices that you can trust. If I do that, we're in agreement. If I bring you bad information, then I'm creating fear because I'm confusing you. You live in a world of, I've got to have the data. When I look at an MRI or a CT scan of somebody's brain, there it is. That mass is going to kill this person. I have to make choices. Is it operable or is it not? Will the operation succeed or will it kill the patient? And then I have to, the unfortunate duty to sit down with that real life person and say, hey, you have this. It's not operable. It will kill you. The only question is, you know, do you want to live six months or like three weeks? We can give you some radiation treatment. You can extend your life by six months, but that's pretty much all we can do. Your choice. Those are horrific choices. I used to be a hospital chaplain uh, in cardiac intensive care, and it didn't matter if you were a captain in industry or janitor. 
everybody that came into that place was terrified Mm -hmm. because it was a life and death thing. You know, your background, you dealt with life and death in your previous uh, jobs and we get confused. There's life and death stuff. And then there's money as a business person. We deal with money. Right. And we shouldn't be confused about it. Healthcare workers, um, first responders, soldiers, airmen, Marines, they're in the life and death business. And there's no comparison. There's just no comparison between those two occupations. And so when people are getting all fuzzed up about money, I try to convince them to slow down. I, I, mean, I just asked them a question. I said, is this life or death or is it about money? Well, it's about money. Okay. So money can be made, right? Yeah. So if you lose some over here, you can make some over here. And at the end of the day, you're kind of okay. You're just not going to die, are you? No. So it's really about being inconvenienced. <laughs> Man, and that was a huge thing for me to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after spending six, six years with the Marine Corps mm-hmm. and then almost 20 with Fort Worth PD, mm-hmm. you're right. I was in the life and death business where time was not mm-hmm. – was was not something that we had. I mean, we had to make we had to make very difficult decisions in the shortest amount of time possible, mm-hmm. where we would be judged yeah. and just torn apart for months afterwards on right. a decision we made in less than two seconds, yeah. right? Because we yeah. had to rush in and right. learning that transition into the business world, like you said, slowing me down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're through the process with you. I learned, and I'm a great owner of a business. I'm a great leader, but I am a horrible, horrible manager. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and I'll never, I'll never forget that, that day we were sitting in a coaching session and you went, stop it. And I was like, stop what? And you were like, stop that right now. And I was like, stop what? And you go, stop pretending to have empathy. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of sat there and laughed because I mean, you're again, telling us everything we don't ever want to hear, you know, all the things we don't want to hear. And you're so accurate that when I went back to the team and I said, yeah, because you were like, look, they see that you're faking it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that just, that, that just offends them even more. Yeah. And so we had a team meeting and I said, guys, do I fake empathy? And all got really quiet. <laughs> yeah. And I said, okay, well that answers that. I uh-huh. said, um, what, how does that make you feel whenever I'm faking it? And then, man, boy, they hit me with some, mm-hmm. some very real conversations yeah. that it was very insulting and yeah. everything else. And they said, look, and, uh, and I believe it was Michelle that summed it up the best. She goes, we know you care. Mm-hmm. We don't ever question that, mm-hmm. but empathy is not your strong suit. No. And empathy not being your strong suit when you fake it, it only insults us. Yeah. You don't have to, they were like, you don't even have to tell us you care. Yeah. We know it through your actions. Like you taught me, yeah. we're not judged on our intentions or judged on the results of our actions. That's and right. they were like, when your actions are faking something, that's insulting. Yeah. When your actions result in what you do for us as employees mm-hmm. and us as a team and everything else, that's when we have more respect for you. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was kind of like a, remember the ALS yeah. cold water ice bucket yeah. challenge. Yeah. It was like an ice bucket coming over me. of like, wow. Yeah. And then I realized how much time and energy I was spending in something that wasn't a strong suit. And mm-hmm. then that was started the process. As you know, is that's when we figured out, Hey, listen, like you said, the sharks always got to be moving, mm-hmm. right. To breathe. Mm-hmm. And all these decisions that I felt that I needed to make were becoming anchors that were slowing me down and almost stopping me yeah. where I was suffocating. Yeah. Where when we realized, take me out of the decision-making process as much as possible, mm-hmm. that not only could I breathe better, but the company would be healthier. Yeah. And Laura is more positioned to be that manager Mm-hmm. of everyone absolutely is because she's detail oriented well, you and brought- she's patient and she likes to have everything <laughs> that's opposite of me. Right. I know. Right. And so, which is really funny because I remember when I went to her almost two years ago and I said, Hey, I've got this guy. I want to be our executive coach. And of course, you know, she, I, I think in the realm of, 
um, cash flow and profit margins. Right. And she thinks in the world of budgets, right? Right. I'm gas pedal, she's brake. Right. You know, which makes our relationship awesome. Yeah. Because without me, she wouldn't move the car very far. Yeah. But without her, I would have drove it off the side of the cliff. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and so in the beginning, she was not a fan of getting the great Tony Ford to be a coach. She was like, why are we spending this money? And oh, yeah, blah, I remember. Blah, blah. I and remember. I mean, yeah. um, and uh, and there was one particular homework assignment you sent me home with. Yeah, Laura's, Laura's, Laura's list. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she was, she was, she was annoyed. But then you look at where we're at now is any major decision that we don't have clarity on, mm-hmm. the first words out of her mouth is, well, what's Tony got to say about it? Well, you know, you, yeah. you, if, if I have your permission to yeah. share the note that she sent me, do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. So it was probably six or seven sessions in and you come to the, we sat down at the Fort Worth club and, uh, you know, we kind of catch up and then you take a note out of your, uh, briefcase and you slide it across the table. And I go, well, Jeremy, you, you don't, you don't owe me any money. I, I'll, I'll bill you at the end of the month. Like I already did. And you said, well, it's not a check. So, well, okay, then what is it? He said, I don't know. I said, well, how do you not know? You just gave it to me. He said, well, it's mm-hmm. not from me. I said, well, who's it from? Well, it's from Laura, my wife. Oh, okay. So I stuck it in my little valise here and, and I got home and I pulled it out and I looked at it and said, dear Mr. Ford, uh, thank you for coaching Jeremy. He has really made a lot of progress. He has just become such a wonderful husband and father. If he ever decides to not have you as his coach, this is my cell number. Please call me immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm staring yeah. at this note. I'm like... And I'm just going to be honest with you. It's like, well, you married him. I'm just his coach. (laughs) There's going to be a day when he's all coached up and it might not be for, you know, a long time, but you know, Laura, you know, we can always just be friends, but at some point, you know, and so, you know, that, and I get that a lot. um, The, 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 the note that you, uh, or the, the issue that you talked about that she got a little fuzzed up about was when I talked to you about Jane's list, you know, we've been married for 42 years and, but, and our ministry has always been to newlywed couples, teaching them how to you know, fight fair and what the Bible says about marriage and stuff. And we had great mentors when we were first married, Scotty and Helen Yeager. And so uh, one of the things that I did after we'd been married a couple of years, Scotty said, Tony says, there are some things that you do that make Jane unhappy that are that's, and that's never going to change in her world. She's never going to get okay with it. You should know what those are. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, what do you call that? And she says, well, you can call it Jane's list. And so, yeah, you're pulling that out of your pocket. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I said, sweetheart, uh, you know, would you would you tell me? I'll pull mine out. I said, would you tell me what it is that's never going to be okay with you? Because I'd like to be able to remember. So for 40 plus years, I've been carrying this thing around in my wallet. And this is Jane's list. The things she's never going to be okay with. Rudeness, thoughtlessness, unkindness, smart aleck remarks, crude jokes, and mixed company. And so I've made it a point with all of my male clients to say, hey, you know, this is how, you know, in your case, Laura's list will work. Please go home and ask her that question. Well, you were one of the first that I'd done that with. And I didn't realize at the time that that's a hard message to translate. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what you said to Laura, but you didn't say that. Yeah. (laughs) And she got really offended and upset. Like, who is this guy? She was. She was hot. Um. You know, we've, we've had a pretty strong marriage, Yeah, you know, and, you know, I don't want to be in the comparing game or anything else, but I, I listen to other folks and where they are in their marriage. And I always go, man, I don't really have this kind of friend. So we've really, for the most part, been very professional about our, uh-huh. our, our marriage, but you also careful what you ask mm-hmm. because you might not like the answers. And out of there's, Laura's list that I keep Laura's list right, right there. What's hers? And 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 really, I want to focus on the first one okay. because I think this one was was really the biggest one to tackle. Okay. Was self aware of time and others. Ooh. Oh man, she cut right to it, didn't man, she? And that was number one. Wow. Not even thinking about it, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And so, and and you know, it was really funny because I'll I'll, I'll never forget after you got the list. And then the next week we met mm-hmm. and you said, and I've still got it written down in my, you know, Your I've journal. always got my little yeah. journal that I take notes on. Yeah. And you said, I want you to write down these three words. And I said, okay. And you went funny. I was like, okay. Funny. Likeable. Yeah. 
likable, reliable. And I was like, okay. And he said, if somebody was going to introduce you to a crowd of people, nobody knew who you were. What's the first word they would pick? I was like, oh, likable. I'm Jeremy's fan. I really love fan. Mm-hmm. And you were like, okay, what's the second one? I was like, funny, man. I mean, I can get the crowd going. Mm-hmm. And you went, what's the third? I was like, I get your point. <laughs> yeah. And so that reliable, you know, you know, so you like to say, hey, you did everything you did to get to the big chair. I'm here to keep you in it. That's it. Right. And transitioning from being this likable, funny guy that you helped me get more comfortable with. Right. Because mm-hmm. like, here it was. We were interviewing Vincent Hancock. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was a great shooter, not just gold medal Olympian, world yeah. champion, but like he slayed every record there is. Like yeah. out of billions of people on the planet, yeah, this guy is the number one shooter on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's nobody better, right? And and so um, we were talking before we started a podcast. Is you know we were kind of joking around because people see us as the most confident people that could walk into a room. And when someone says, oh man, you just don't have any insecurities. And I'm like, nope, that's yeah, so sorry, man, wrong. No, <laughs> it's back up. And my biggest insecurity that I had was being likable and funny mm-hmm. was my way of creating this boundary because I was so afraid that people didn't think I was a reliable, even mm-hmm. though my actions showed that I was. Yeah, you were protecting yourself. I was trying to protect myself in that being reliable. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when that became more of the focus, when you helped me understand that, like, hey, you can be reliable and still likable and funny. That's right. And being more self-aware. Yeah. Uh, just be reliable first. Just be reliable first. And yeah. being careful with others' times. Yeah. Um, like it, and, and how that has grown to where I could get the three Colby brothers in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So here are three guys that their family would just love to be able to have them all three in the same room, but they're running this incredible company yeah. that's publicly traded and they're busy and flying all over the place and doing everything. But now, you know, just to get them all in the same room mm-hmm. outside of a work nature is challenging enough. But yeah. when I made the phone call, they were like, absolutely, man. Sure. Because developed that reliable nature yeah. in that trust where, you know, Michael had called me, you know, the night before he comes in for the recording. He's like, yeah, yeah, I really got, yeah, I've got a meeting. It may run over, you know, what's this thing going to look like? And I said, man, it's just going to be casual, fun conversation where yeah. when the guys came in, we did, we had a great time on the recording. And then afterwards he calls me and just says, when can I come do this again? Right. <laughs> it's so it's fun. that yeah, it trust in that, in that, yeah. and, and, and respecting people's time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if like the, when somebody comes to me, so recently had a friend looking to hire a, new person and when he called me and you know who I'm talking about talking we can't about. let the cat out of the bag yeah, but called me and said hey this is what I'm looking for nice man I, I've got I've got the I've got I've got the person for you right and so when the person who's making this transition you know from uh, you know three decades in the military mm-hmm. over to go into the civilian world said man what's the and what's the best piece of advice that you could give me? And I said, if you respect people's time, mm-hmm. they will always give it to you. Yeah. If you don't, they might be courteous, but they're not present. Yeah, it's one and done. Right. Yeah. And learning to respect people's time. Like even with Michael. Michael and I are great friends. Mm-hmm. He's a president of a major company. Mm-hmm. It's publicly traded, like we said. And we send funny texts back and forth, you know, joking with each other. But when I need 15 to 20 minutes of his undivided attention, mm-hmm. I call his assistant mm-hmm. and I say, can you get me on Michael's calendar? I need about 15, 20 minutes to discuss something with him. Right. And they'll put it on the calendar and <clears throat> we do it. And because of that, I've got his undivided attention. Yeah. He's got a million things going on. He's got a million. He's made more decisions by 8 a.m. than most people make in a 365 days yeah. in a year. But he gives me that undivided attention because I absolutely just. Yeah, you honor, you honor and respect his time. Right. One of the things that uh, 
I'm always fi- fond of reminding myself about because when you have big ideas, mm-hmm. they typically turn into big explanations. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you know, somebody asks you, what time is it? And you build a watch factory. And they're like, really, I just <laughs> didn't have that hour and a half to give you, but oh, you know, thanks for playing. so funny. Uh, it is, uh, and because you know, yeah. big brains cause big ideas. And what, what I go, I always go back to Proverbs, and, you know, where it says that uh, when words are many, mistakes are unavoidable. Yeah. We pretty much talk ourselves into most of our problems. You know, just like we hire our problems, we also talk ourselves into problems. And so learning to keep our own counsel learning to let things bounce around in our head and check them at our mouth before we say them. Um, it, it's a skill mm-hmm. and it's difficult for us. I mean, entrepreneurs have, you know, <laughs> I, I, I used to, I used to tell uh, other, before I became a coach, um, I would always get to know the second or third in command of other people's companies. And um, when I would have lunch with the owner, I would say something like, you need to stop taking showers. And he'd go, what? What are you talking about? I said, you need to stop taking showers. Why? I mean, mean, is it a cleanliness thing? And I said, no, it's not about cleanliness. I said, every time you take a shower, you come up with your next big idea. And then you walk (laughs) into your office and you tell all these people, hey guys, I've got the, you know, this is what we're going to do now. And what you forget is that you're the engine on the train and every one of those big ideas is a car and your people are still working on the last 500 cars that you came up with in the shower and they're drowning. They're dying. You've, you've long forgotten all those cars, but they're still having to pull them up that hill. And so, you know, look, big engine, either stop taking showers or start com- stop coming in with big ideas. Do one or the other because you're killing your people. And they're just like, wow, I guess I do do that. You totally do that. And I go, how did you know? I said, well, because I did the same thing. Because yeah. that's what we do. And, and what I tell people is that paper is cheap. Ideas are precious. So, hey, boss, when you get that big idea, have a yellow pad there in the bathroom and just write it down. And just keep going. And, you know, someday one of those ideas will be germane to what you're actually trying to do. But it doesn't mean just because you had the idea that it's appropriate for today. It just doesn't. That was huge for me to learn. Yeah. And, and it goes back to that again. Confusion creates fear. So here it was the team who, you know, I, and I talk about this all the time. And that's the reason we call the podcast Winning Strategies Playbook. Mm-hmm. And the website is myexperiencerealer.com because, well, one, people can spell the name span so many different ways and might not ever find us. Right. But more importantly is because it was called span group, people expected to get a span and I, and I spent so much time just going, look, mm-hmm. really, I, I, I'm the face of the business. Yeah. I go find a business, but the people you want to listen to yeah. is this team of people because they are detail oriented. They right. dot the I's, they cross the T's, mm-hmm. they know the outs. They are going to be the ones that protect you. And so making that evolution of, you know, further away from the span group and more my experienced realtor. Right. And getting to that because, you know, with, with a client going, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, what did Michelle say? Because whatever Michelle said is going to be yeah. far more important than well, what I said. Well, she's a subject thing. expert in your company for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so um, that conveying of trust, and that's what I was doing is I was confusing the team whenever, you know, Span had this great idea. Yeah. And they're like, man, we're just now getting the, 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 the train on the tracks with the last one. And yeah. you want to change it again. And I was confusing it. So we yeah. clarified that. It's and, real common. Yeah, it, it is. It's real common. So and, we do it, we do it a lot. And, uh, you know, um, when owners, well, we've talked about this. I, I tell people that, you know, what got you to the big chair won't keep you there. Yeah. What gets you there is hard work, tenacity, being the last person standing, uh, coming up with just the right idea at the right time in the nick of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes if it's, if you come up in a small corporation, it's politics you know, it's who you know and who you had to dinner and all that stuff, who you played golf with. And there's, there's some of that in there. Okay. Now you're in the big chair. Now, what do you do? Mm-hmm. It's, it's analogous to, you know, that, that dog that sits on the corner and every day when the bus goes by, he chases it. Well, one day he catches it. 
And he never figured out what to do with a mouthful of tire while it's whipping around <laughs> and beating him to death. So you might want to think about which part yeah. of the bus you want to bite on right. before you catch it, right? And and getting into the big chair, becoming the owner, starting your own company, you have caught the bus. Make sure that what's in your mouth is chewable and then learn how to chew it in smaller bites. So if you could go back and talk to 22-year-old self. Uh-huh. And I know there is probably an encyclopedia series on what you would tell 22-year-old self. But if you had one takeaway from where you are in life now, what would you tell 22-year-old Tony if you could turn back the hands of time? I would tell him to forget building that library of business books, open up the Bible to the first chapter of Proverbs, read a chapter a day on that day because convenient there's 31 chapters. And get your head around God's wisdom because he made people. He knows how we work. He knows how we think. He knows how we, we interact. And that book, especially the third chapter, is a guidebook to how to get along with, motivate, work beside, uh, succeed with other human beings. It's God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the instruction manual. And, you know, people, people pick up the Bible. It's got 66 chapters written over 4,000 years. It confuses a lot of people. And I say, keep it simple. The, the New Testament is about salvation and Christ, and that's all important stuff. Uh, but if you want to just have a good working knowledge of business and people, Proverbs, King Solomon. I mean, he was a smart guy. And uh, he had a lot to say. He'd, he'd done it all, seen it all, owned it all. And he shared a lot of things that broke his heart. Hey, guess what? When you're an owner, a lot of things break your heart. But he shows how to overcome it. He shows how we think. And so by reading a chapter every day, and they're short, I mean, it only takes like two minutes. Yeah. You just keep picking things out on that day. There, there's a book that, that I give to people. It's called Jesus Calling. It's a devotional. Uh, it's got 365 little devotions, right? And mm-hmm. you have one. Um, and I've given away hundreds of those things. Why? Because it has this way for an entrepreneur. It has this way of speaking out of scripture to the issues of the day. You know, and, it, and it's a creepy thing because that day you read it and you go, wow, that's kind of what I was stuck on. Dee, 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 dee. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how yeah. it works. I don't yeah. know how it works. Okay. But, oh, yeah. but the Bible says that, that God's word, when it goes out in any form, will not return void. It will always accomplish that for which it was sent. And I believe that. And, you know, I became a Christian when I was 23. My wife, my wife led me to Christ. And uh, I've grown in that just like I've grown as an entrepreneur. But I would have... I would have started trusting God and not trusting Tony as much. And so when I coach and I told you, I've told you this the first time we met, I said, look, if if you hear wisdom, that anything that you think is wisdom, if it is, it's not from me. Mm -hmm. I got it from that book. Now, does that mean that, you know, it's not good to know who moved your cheese and what seat on the bus you're supposed to be in and what good to great means and what, those are all good things. Right. Okay. And, And I don't take anything away from, I got all those books. And I've read the first 20 pages of every one of them. Um, <laughs> by the way, I, and this is just a little thing for your audience. Um, do you know why, especially business books, are at least 160 pages long? You've told me this before, but let the audience hear it's this It's because one. that's how thick the book has to be so that you can get the name of the book on the spine. The thickness of, it takes 160 pieces of paper back to back to make it thick enough so that when they put it in the bookstore, you can see and go, oh, that book. So that's why that explains why the whole essence of the book is in the first 30 or 40 pages. And everything after that is a war story, you know, about I did mm. this, I did that, you know, self-glorification for the author. That's the actual answer. So I'm a big fan of pamphlets. Right. <laughs> you know, right. give me, just give me the, just give me the facts and yeah. I'll, I'll work through the stories myself. Um, this thing we do, Jeremy, this thing we do as leaders, as uh, owners, as entrepreneurs, it's hard. There's no taking that away. It's hard on a good day. And when we string three or four or five bad days together, it gets really hard. And so, you know, my advice to people, and it would be my advice to that 22-year-old Tony, is invest in relationships. Yeah. Surround yourself with people that care about you more than what you can do for them. Listen to older people. Ask them what they did right, and especially what they did they wish they'd done differently. And then internalize that. You know, it's really funny you say that because, you know, the pandemic hitting in March of 2020 was Mm -hmm. a really good example of it is very hard to be an owner. Mm -hmm. Incredibly hard. It's challenging all the time. But March 2020, 
hits and I've got 30 people I'm responsible for across all my different businesses, right? right? These, these folks, they, they provide for their families Mm -hmm. because of the companies that I have. Yeah. And so I'm hearing all this feedback, you know, fear and man, you know, what's going to happen? Because at that point, because they're a cog in the machine, right? Right. Um, They're, they're, they're one of the mechanisms of it. They're concerned about self and I'm concerned about 30 of them. Yeah. Right. Like I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that 30 people Mm -hmm. still provide for their families. You're worried about one. I'm worried. And that's the difference of being in that, being in the big chair is somebody's worried about their particular lane. Sure. I'm worried about the entire infrastructure, highway system, whole nine yards. Right. And what I learned, you know, especially from you is the way to keep the train on the tracks is to remain calm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and this will be kind of a good segue towards the end because one of the things I learned is, you know, Jeremy W., who's the GM of old school, who is just as good. I mean, you, you, yeah. I couldn't find anybody better. Oh, no, he's solid. Yeah. And COVID hits and restaurants were naturally one, right. of, one of the biggest ones that were being hit. And he was stressed. I mean, I can't even imagine the amount of stress that mm-hmm. he was under. I had different stresses. Yeah. He's dealing with the, all these folks all the are, I mean, he's stuff. getting all, he's getting yeah. all the calls, right? Yeah. What are we going to do? How's this going to happen? Are we going to close? Do I, you know, how do I pay my rent? Blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so he was, and it was over something really silly. And I mean, he just, I mean, the cheese slid off the cracker mm-hmm. and he is just screaming, hangs up the phone. Laura looks at me and says, how can you deal with that? And I said, I would rather be the person that is the outlet for his frustration right. than the clients and the employees. Yep. Because this man's under a lot of pressure and a mm-hmm. lot of stress. Yep. And, and, and what is it going to do to help if I scream back? Right. It's yep. not going to do anything. Right? You're going to make a bad situation yeah. worse. Yeah. So months later, because he did what I knew exactly he would do is he would make this work. Right. Yeah. There's a reason he's in that seat. Right. And so months later, you know, he was like, Hey man, I, I want to, apologize for my actions. And, and he goes, I'm sorry. And I said, man, you're good. I'd rather have been the recipient of yeah. it than everybody else. He's, and it was really kind of funny because he looks at me and he goes, I just don't understand something. And I said, what's that? And he goes, as much chaos that happens through all your businesses and all this stuff, you never look stressed. You never freak out. You, mm-hmm. You're always calm. You, you, you never lose it. And I went, oh no, that's where you're wrong. I, I do. I do. I just... You know, uh-huh. I don't lose it in front of everybody else, right? right? I, I, it's kind of like that scene in Private, you know, Saving Private Ryan, where uh-huh. Tom Hanks is. The troops are like, "Hey, why don't you ever complain?" And he was like, "Well, complaints go up. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you complain to me, I complain to my boss. My boss complains yeah. to their boss, and yeah. that's just the way it goes yeah. up, not the other way around." Well, you, and, you and I have uh, talked about how one of the requisites to be a great entrepreneur is you have to be a pretty good actor. Yeah. <laughs> you really do. I mean, just because we don't look stressed doesn't mm-hmm. mean we are not stressed. Oh, yeah. Um, but somebody's got to be the grown-up. Yeah. Somebody's got to slow everything down and take stock. Um, I, you know, if, if I had one thing to, to share with employees that weren't mine, mm-hmm. I would say, remember that your owner's a person. They were a people before they were a boss. And... Things hurt their heart, just like they hurt yours. Mm-hmm. And if there's an opportunity to be kind, to, sh- to show grace, to cut some slack, do it. Because when we make choices, when we make decisions, by definition, somebody's going to be inconvenience. Somebody is going to have less than the others on that decision. Yeah. And, and helping them understand early days. And, and right now you're building that core and, and your people get this because you've had those conversations to say to them, look, you're not going to be the winner of every conversation. Right. We come around these things. We can vigorously for our position. But at the end of the day, the person in the chair has to make a call. And when they make a call, you may not win that day. But tomorrow you may. And it will go around. And the goal is to get everybody as much of what they need to succeed as possible. Tools and resources. That's what we do. Provide tools and resources for you. Today, 
I had to take something from you to give it over here because we needed that more as a company. My job is to protect the company. If I protect the company, ultimately I'm protecting you. Yes. But just understand in real time on a day-to-day basis, it won't always go your way. And I, I don't feel good about that. That hurts me too. I care about you. Yeah. But just, you know, we have to do this together. And that's why I told you, look, get that five, six, seven men and women around you that get that and can kind of know you and protect you as an owner. And then there'll be that second ring, 10, 20, 30 other people. You'll know them too. You'll know their families, but you won't know them like you know your core people. Right. And you won't be known like you're known by your core people. And so I always encourage, uh, you know, business owners, look, whatever you think you're building, build that core first. It may never get bigger than the core, may never need to. You guys are highly efficient with four people. You get six or seven, you guys are just going to be a powerhouse. You may never have 30, but you could. Right. But you've set it up right, and so it now it runs right. Because if you set it up right, it does run right. And if you set it up wrong, well, you spend the rest of your time trying to fix it. And we hate that part. <laughs> we really do. Well, coaching has been a significant impact in, you know, in not just my professional life, but my personal life. So let's say we got an audience member that wants to get a coach. How to get a hold of you, hold of another coach. What's, where I'm, do they go? I'm the easiest guy in the world to find. They can actually just Google Tony Ford. Google be, Tony Ford. T-O-N-Y-F-O-R-D. I'll be one of two that come up. The other is on death row in Huntsville. I'm not that one. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's killing my SEO, but there it is. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's Success Fort Worth. Just go to successfortworth.com. And Success you'll, see, you'll see all of our coaches there yeah. and their bios and uh, testimonials about different ones. Uh, we all come from different places as coaches. Uh, obviously, as a lifelong entrepreneur, a lot of people want me to coach them because they're entrepreneurs, but it doesn't require that. The coaching process does not depend on the experience of the coach, except as a coach. And so it's just convenient for me that my clients, if they want to know what's been happening for 40 years in growing companies, I have that. Yeah. That's kind of frosting on the cake. It's not the cake. Um, what I would just tell people is don't wait to even explore coaching. If you even think you're, you're circling Time in your own head, just, just go, just call us. We'll have yeah. that conversation. The choices are always theirs. I mean, I'm full up most of the time. Sometimes I have a waiting list. A lot of my coaches do. Uh, it's worth waiting. But if you're serious about it, get on the list because it might take a month or two be, to free that coach up to have a session for you every week. So that's what I'd say. Don't, it costs you nothing to find out about it. Yeah. Well, Tony, thank you again for your time. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. Bro. This was always just amazing. Yeah. I mean, here it was, we're doing a podcast and I still got a piece of advice of how I need to go handle this situation. <laughs> World's full of opportunity, man. It is. That's what makes it fun. Thanks, Thanks, you thanks for, for having me. You Absolutely. Bet.